Now, Daryl's a little biased, and he has to say that because when we were little babies, our mothers put us in the same bathtub together, so he has to say those real nice things about us. Uh, it is so wonderful to be here today with you at the Hoover Congregation. I consider y'all my home away from home. Um, you're almost like a, a home congregation to me. Uh, I know so many of you. I get to spend uh, a great deal of time with a lot of the members here. And having said that, I know that a lot of the members that do know me more on a personal level, uh, they may not know me as Brent the preacher in the pulpit. And so, uh, like for the Powells and probably the, the Warrens and the, the Wymers, the Lyles, and, and so many others that are here that have known me for a long time. I know Nick's long, known me since I was a, a kid. That they, they look up here and they think, perhaps, maybe you guys think, how on earth are we really going to take him seriously this morning after everything that we know about Brent. Uh, well, luckily, most of you don't know all those things, so you, hopefully you'll take me seriously uh, this morning. One thing I, I do know about myself is this, is that I want to go to heaven more than anything in the world, and I want to help others get there too. That's, that's my goal in life. That has always been my, my motto, I guess, that you could say. And I hope maybe this morning as we study through God's Word together, that I, I hope maybe that I can encourage us all to be a little stronger, a little more faithful, a little more proactive in our Christian life, and maybe even a little more evangelistic to those around us. Uh, let me start off by asking you to turn to the book of Philippians. We're going to look at chapter 4 and verse 8 in just a moment. As you're turning there, I want to ask those of us who are adults, because I don't really think kids watch the news. As I, when I was a child, I did not understand why my parents uh, watched the news, but now as an adult, I kind of turn on the news every now and then. So to start off, for those of you who are adults, who watch the news on occasion, do you find yourself reaching for the pill bottle and wanting to pop a few more blood pressure pills? Because uh, the things that we see on the news nowadays, and maybe it's always been like that, uh, just I find myself just growing more and more frustrated with the things that I see that, that go on in our world, that go on in our nation, that go on in our state, that go on in our neighborhoods. And you see all the the terrible things that are just going on round about us and the news there is reporting just one after another it just seems that there's just terrible things going on and I find myself just my face getting hot and my ears burning getting red and just so upset uh, you know there's a lot of things that go on in this life that we don't have any control over but we still allow our emotions to uh, fuel fear and anxiety and all a host of other synonyms that we might be able to use to describe how we feel when we see these kinds of things in the world. If you'll humor me for just a moment, I want to go over some statistics uh, here in America real quick and then we'll kind of begin to drive home some points. Did you know that here in America the average young person spends more time on social media Television, movies, the internet, we'll just we'll label all that stuff media in general. Music, radio, iPods, apps. Young people here in America spend more time in media than any other activity in a 24-hour period, except for sleep. Sleep is the only other thing that they spend more time in. And that should that should actually blow your mind because it blows my mind especially when you start to add those things up the average American eight-year-old spends eight hours a day on media the average teenager spends 11 hours a day on media now listen I'm not saying all media is bad 
Uh, a lot of what teenagers are experiencing media-wise are something as simple as PowerPoint songs on a Sunday service or a video played at school in one of their classes. So there, there are a lot of positives that can come from that. But I just want us to get an idea about how much we're taking in. 11 hours a day. Now, if you do the math, that comes to the average American teenager spends 167 days of a year immersed in media. The average teenager needs about nine hours of sleep. Some of you are probably saying, if I could get my teenager to wake up in nine hours, that'd be great. But the average American teenager spending nine hours uh, a night sleeping, that comes to 136 days of the year. You put those two together, the average American teenager is only left with 62 days in the year to do anything else. We're talking about eat, go to the bathroom, brush their teeth, go to church, visit their friends. They've only got 62 days, an entire year, left to do those things. A study in the Journal of Pediatrics came out with some statistics a few years ago telling us that, again, the average American teenager sends 3,300 texts in a month. That's, that's a lot of texts. Some of you are probably thinking, oh, I beat that easy. You know, I heard of a friend of ours who sent like 5,000 texts in one month. That's not receiving and sending, that's just sending. Uh, in 1949, which is uh, uh, almost 70 years ago, did you know that the average American home, only 2% of American homes had a television in it? 2%. Uh, Ten years ago in 2007, 98% of American homes had a television in it. Do you know what it is today? 99% of American homes have a television in it. 33% of American children have a television in their room. The average American young person spends 28 hours a week watching TV. 75% of U.S. homes with children have game consoles. Now for us old folks, game consoles would be like uh, a PS4 or a, 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 an Atari for some of y'all. That might help you understand a little bit of what we're talking about. Uh, has a game console in their home. 40% of homes that only have preschoolers, not teenagers, only preschoolers, 40% of homes, they also have game consoles. If you ask the teenagers in the audience today, did you play a video game yesterday? 97% of teenagers played a game yesterday. Now, I, I'm not saying all these things are bad. I just want us to know the scope of what we're looking at here. I'm wanting us to understand how much media uh, is affecting our lives. Now, having said that, how much... Am, am I being too loud? I feel like I'm just, just, just booming up here. This is a good mic. Uh, how much negativity, how much hate... How much evil and how much sadness are our children exposed to, and I might even ask us, are we exposed to through all of these forms of media? Now again, I laid out these statistics at the beginning to understand that, that we're getting a lot of it on a daily basis. So how much of it is what we might call negative or saddening or evil or sinful? By the age of 18, a young person here in America will witness over 200,000 acts of violence on television alone. They'll witness over 40,000 murders. Uh, there are 143 incident, uh, incidents 
of sexual behavior on primetime TV each week. Now, primetime television, just that slot in the evening, Monday through Friday, 143 incidents of sexual behavior. 43% uh, of teenagers this year alone have been bullied online. And I know that word bullied is often taken further than it really should be, but this is talking about uh, actually hurting someone uh, mentally and verbally. 58% of teens this year have seen uh, some type of porn pornography, uh, pornographic material online. And 50% uh, of our teenagers today have spoken to someone online that they didn't even know. That, that should concern us. You turn on the television, and in a single week of watching TV, now we already pointed out that there's about 28 hours of television watched each week by the average American young person. During that 28 hours, they're going to get about 4,200 bad words, as we'll call them. We'll go bad words. Lord's name taken in vain, and then the rest will be what we would call swear words. In one week of television, 4,200 bad words. Now, I'm not trying to convince us. I'm not saying all this stuff to, to just make you down and depressed and sad. And I'm not saying all of this to say you need to throw all your televisions out and throw all your iPods out and get rid of your phones. I just want us to understand that in the world that we live in today, the devil has at his disposal a great many things to thrust into our minds and in our hearts and into our lives all kinds of evil and all kinds of sin. Now, with all the, the types of things that we've mentioned, all kinds of media, I mean, you know, you can do all kinds of wonderful things with media. Wonderful things. But we do need to understand that Satan loves to use things that often are used for good for something that is bad. There are a number of side effects that come from this kind of continuous negative influence. And that's what we're going to call these things that I've mentioned. You know, the bad words, the... the, the promiscuous behavior, the, the violence, and all these kinds of things, you experience that enough. And there are eventually some side effects that happen in someone's life that continues to, to witness and be a part of negative things. Someone who continues to experience continuous negative behaviors or negative influences, eventually themselves, they can feel down. They can feel depressed. There's even actual physical side effects. You can have high blood pressure like I mentioned a moment ago. If you, if you ever watch the news and you've gotten yourself so upset about something that's going on, you're, you're, you're experiencing one of those actual physical side effects by the negativity that's out in the world today. Your blood pressure can go up. Your blood pressure can go down. Some people even put on weight. Some people lose weight when they experience negative things in life. We often close ourselves off from experiencing the good that we could have if we wouldn't focus so much on the bad. Negative influences in our lives affect us to the point that we start having a negative influence on other people. Simple example, you ever been around someone who is sad and downtrodden and upset about something? You know, if you're at all empathetic and sympathetic, how does it make you feel when you spend just a few moments with someone who's experienced some kind of great loss and they're very sad. Maybe you, you began crying too. You see, we can have an effect on other people in that way. Spiritually speaking, the effect 
that these things have on our spiritual life are really what I want us to focus on this morning. Because of uh, unhappiness, we can begin to become weary in our spiritual lives. I know some of you have probably experienced that because of all the unhappiness that you've experienced in your own life, you began to be somewhat weary. Maybe you begin to feel a little bit unworthy before God, unworthy before Jesus Christ, our Savior. Maybe you begin to feel unproductive, and maybe all of those things, as they progress, you, you find yourself becoming more and more unfaithful to the Lord, unfaithful to the body of Jesus Christ, which eventually hurts our influence. You know, when you're, when you're not being faithful, you can't be the kind of influence that you need to be. So if you have, have gone down this path of, natural, of this natural progression, you eventually find yourself not being the kind of influence that you need to be. You find yourself not being that bright and shining light that those around us need to see when they look at us. They need to see Jesus Christ in our lives, but because of this progression, they cannot see that. And eventually you find yourself in a place where your soul is in danger and perhaps maybe you're putting others' souls in danger as well. And that should concern us. That, that should concern us to know that all of the negativity that is in the world, all the unhappiness, the sadness, the evil, the sin that's in the world, it has an effect on us whether we want to admit it or not. And it can eventually get to the, to the point where we find ourselves, our soul is in jeopardy because of the effects that these things have had on us. So I want to ask us this question this morning. What are we going to do about it? What are we going to do about ourselves when we find ourselves becoming downtrodden, when we find ourselves becoming unhappy? You know, I look at the, the young people in the audience, and I think about these precious souls who are in school and perhaps uh, spending time with, with friends that, that aren't members of the church, and, and, and God knows we all hope that they're being, our children are being the influence that they need to be on these young people and on the people at their school and on their peers that they run into in life. But sometimes we as parents, we can't help but, but worry a little bit about how our children are being affected. How our children are being influenced. What are our children, you know, what are they being, what are they being taught? What bad habits are they learning from this person or that person? And we should be concerned about those things to a degree. We should be concerned. Maybe not so much worry ourselves sick, but we should certainly be concerned. So how do we deal with this? How do we reconcile this in our lives as Christians? What do we do? What can be done? Is there something that can be done? Since we know that we are affected by these things in life, since we know that unhappiness is something that we all deal with on a regular basis, there's four things that I want to give you this morning. And I just remembered I didn't plot my clock here. Daryl told me that uh, Chuck just goes as long as he wants to, and he sometimes goes to like 11.30. But I want you people to like me, so I'm going to try not to do that. Y'all already like Chuck, you know. He's been around for a long time. But I'll try, try my best to end on time so my wife's not mad at me too because that's the person I have to go home with. There are four things that I want to give you that I hope will be an encouragement to you so that you can make those changes that you need to make in your life or do those things or think on those things so you will not be 
unhappy, sad, discouraged, which eventually leads to unfaithfulness. That, that's the end game here. My concern is, as we go through this lesson, is I want to do what I can to keep you on the right track so that your soul is prepared for eternity. The first thing that I want you to do, the first thing that I think we can find in Scripture in order to make sure that we go down this path of, of being happy. And I'll tell you what, I'm getting a little ahead of myself. Before I tell you that, I want to read this verse. Uh, we had the Scripture reading a moment ago. I want to read it one more time from Psalm 126, verses 2 and 3, which reads, Then our mouth was filled with laughter, and our tongue with shouts of joy. Then they said among the nations, The Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us. We are glad. We are glad. Now here, this is from the Old Testament, of course. And, and even then, the psalmist realized all the blessings that are found in being a child of God. And the attitude of a child of God ought to be, The Lord, He's, he's done so much for me. The Lord, He's done so much for us. We ought to be glad. Now we come to the New Testament, Matthew chapter 5, as Jesus is beginning the Sermon on the Mount. And we have there in those first 12 verses what we refer to as the Beatitudes. Some versions of the Bible says, blessed is the man that. Some versions actually say, happy is the man that. And there's a whole list of things that, that we ought to be doing and we ought to be implementing in our lives, that we, a ways we ought to be living. But when Jesus gets down to verse 12, he says, Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. Brethren, I think because of the things that we experience in this life, I think there are a, a host of people in the body of the Lord's church today that are sad when they shouldn't be that are unhappy when they shouldn't be, they walk around with a frown on their face and they grump and they mope and they complain when they shouldn't be. And if that's you out there in the audience, I'm so sorry. I hope after this lesson maybe you can leave with a smile. We as Christians, we are of all people in this entire world, we have more to be happy about than any other group of people. We have more to rejoice over than any group of people. We have more to be excited about because we're the children of God. Jesus Christ has given his life on the cross for us and we're headed to heaven. Amen? That's what we're looking forward to. So there is no reason, despite the things that come at us from the world, there's no reason we ought to be unhappy. There's no reason that we can't be happy because we can. And here's the first thing that you're going to need to do to make sure that you're leading this kind of life. A, a, a life where Jesus says rejoice and be glad. Because that's the life that he wants for you. He said in John chapter 10 and verse 10, He came that we might have life and have it what? More abundantly. We can have an abundant, joyful, exciting life here on earth as we're heading towards heaven. The first thing that I want you to do is to make up your mind. It begins with a decision in your mind that I am going to be happy. I am going to be excited. I am looking forward to heaven, and no matter what's going on around me, I'm making the decision now that I am going to do what is necessary in order to be the kind of person that Jesus wants me to be. I'll give you a quick story that hopefully won't take up too much of my time here, but when I was 12 years old, my parents went through a divorce. 
For anyone in this audience who's ever experienced that, God bless you, it's a terrible thing to experience as, as the adult, I assume, and especially as the child, I know, it's a difficult thing to experience. And as you know, there's often a lot of crying, there's a, a lot of sadness, a, a lot of struggle, and shortly after my parents got divorced, I found me and my sisters and my father sitting in the living room almost every night of the week, gathered around. It seemed like everybody was crying, everybody was upset, everybody was sad. And, and it, that went on for several years. And I remember about the time I was 14 or 15 years old, there we were again, sitting in the living room in our little family powwow, and, and people were crying. And I finally had my fill of it. I'd finally gotten enough of all the crying and all the sadness and all the being upset. And, and, and somewhere in the weeks previous, I'd heard a sermon somewhere about, about the need to be happy in the Christian life. And, and I stood up in the middle of, of the family powwow and I said, I'm sick of this. I'm, t I'm tired of us always crying and being, I am not going to do it anymore. From this point forward, I'm going to be happy. And I feel like, for the most part, I've kept that vow since then. A uh, uh, few Sundays before that, that sermon that had been preached there at the Silicaga Church of Christ in the bulletin, there was a little five-point uh, article, I guess you would say, uh, verses on how to be happy. And I took that and cut it out. I folded it up, put it in my wallet, and that joker stayed in my wallet until just a few years ago. It was just disintegrated. You couldn't read anything on it anymore. And I, I put it in a little, you know, little safe keep area of, of things from my past. And, and I, I reflect on that time in my life where sometimes you just got to make the mental decision, I am going to change. I'm going to be different. I'm going to do what needs to be done. And now we find ourselves in God's Word here in Philippians chapter 4. In verse 8, the Apostle Paul writes through the inspiration of God, Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. These are the things. I'm getting a little excited here, okay? These are the things that we are supposed to be thinking about. No wonder that so many people are suffering from anxiety and depression. And, and, and let me do a little sidebar here. I understand that there are often uh, chemical deficiencies and chemical imbalances and there are medical problems. And I understand there are times for, for medication. But uh, there are often people who become depressed and become sad because they, they, they didn't focus on the good things, they were focused on the bad things. And many times we find ourselves sitting there, as I've mentioned before, watching the news, and we're so focused on the bad because that's what they're showing us. We forget about doing what we're told to do here, is these are the things that we are supposed to be thinking on. We're supposed to be thinking on the things that are true, honest, pure, just, lovely, of a good report, that are virtuous, that are praiseworthy. Think about those things. And then you'll be putting your mind in that right direction that you need to go. We all remember the prodigal son in Luke chapter 15. We'll skip towards the end here. He finds himself in the pig pen. So hungry he wants to eat the pig food. And he's thinking about his home life back home where he had plenty of bread and to spare. And, and verse 17 of Luke 15 says, And he came to himself and said. And in his mind he plays this out. You know, how many servants of my fathers are back home? They've got plenty to eat, but look at me. I'm sitting here and I'm dying of hunger. 
Now notice that phrase at the beginning of verse 17. And he came to himself. He had a thought. And he began to think. And that's what eventually led to a few verses later. It says he arose and went. You know what eventually led to that action, that determined action of getting up, picking himself up, and heading back home and doing something that probably, you know, he felt like he was going to have to grovel. He felt like he was going to have to beg. And, and, but he still got up and he went. You know what led to the getting up and the going? And eventually led to a whole host of blessings. He made up his mind. He made up his mind. He got up and he went home. Philippians chapter 3 and verse 13 says, Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do. Remember, this is the Apostle Paul speaking by the inspiration of God, of course, but he's saying, this one thing I do, forgetting the things which are behind. What did Paul need to forget about that was in his past? Have any of you ever gone and, and had Christians thrown into prison? Did any of you stand there and hold the garments of other people while they killed another Christian and you just watched? And you basically gave the thumbs up, good job for doing that? Paul, he had a lot of things in his past that probably weighed on his shoulders from time to time. But he says, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth into those things which are before. Paul had this mindset, I've made up my mind, I'm going to serve the Lord, and I am pressing forward to that goal of heaven. Brethren, that's what we need to do in our own lives, is we need to make up our mind. Make up our mind that there is no greater work to do than to work towards heaven. There is no greater thing that, that we can do than to help others along with us. Make up your mind. Secondly, what we're going to do, as soon as we have made up our minds, we've got to work on our words. Work on our words. You know, our, our, our life is filled with words. You know, you've probably heard somewhere that, that women use twice as many words in a day than, than men do. I'm not going to make a joke out of that. But, you know, we use a lot of words during the day. We, we talk to people. Some of us probably more than others, John Rice. We type to people on our keyboard. We send emails. We go to, do they still do chat rooms? I don't know if that's a thing anymore. Uh, we text. We, we, some people might still write letters. You know, we, we use a lot of words. We read a lot of words. Some of you love books. Some of you love magazines. Some of you grew up reading comic books. Uh, you know, some of you have to put the subtitles up because you can't hear as good as you used to anymore. You know, we're, we live with words all around us on a regular basis. And brethren, we have got to watch our words. Matthew chapter 12, verses 36 and 37, Jesus says, I tell you on the day of judgment, people will give an account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words... You will be condemned. Is it important to God the Father in heaven? Is it important to Him that we use our words wisely? That we say and do the right things? That we, that we read the right things? In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, if you want to turn over there real quick, just a couple of short verses. Uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 verse 18 says, Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. Comfort one another with these words. Well, what words? You're just reading the end of the story there, Brent. Well, if you read all the way back to verses 13 and following, you'll see that 
the, the church there in Thessalonica, they, was they were really having a struggle with this idea of the resurrection. And some were teaching and believing that their loved ones who had died and gone on before them, there was going to be no resurrection for them. And the Apostle Paul here, he writes and talks about, yes, there is going to be a resurrection. When the Lord returns, those who have died in Christ get to go and be with Him in heaven. Now, those are some pretty good words. Don't you think it's pretty good to find out that those who died in Christ, they get to go and be with the Father in heaven? That's some good news. That's some news you ought to want to share with people. And Paul here says, comfort one another with those words. That's the message that we as Christians are required to spread. That's what the gospel is. That Jesus Christ, He came and died, and because of Him, we can be justified, saved, our sins washed away. And therefore, we can, we can go to heaven. Look one chapter forward, verse 11 of chapter 5. He writes, Wherefore, comfort yourselves together and edify one another. Or some versions might say uplift or build up, even as also you do. You know, just in these two verses, we're told how we're to use our words. Comfort one another with our words. Edify one another with our words. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 24 tells us that we are to provoke one another unto love and good works. Provoke. You know, sometimes the word provoke is used in a, a negative sense. You know, you provoked me to do that. You pushed and pushed and pushed and I had to push back. Not that kind of provoke, but the kind of provoke that we're encouraging you to do the right thing. The Hebrew writer says that we as Christians, we need to provoke one another unto love and good works. Comfort, edify, provoke unto love and good works. How are we using our words? Again, we're talking about all this media that bombards us on a daily basis. Are we allowing those good words to go into our ears and through our eyes and into our brain and into our hearts? Are we using the kind of words that, that Christians ought to be using? I hope that we are. Okay, so you've got to make up your mind, you've got to watch your words, and here comes a funny sounding one. You've got to fix your face. Fix your face. What? What's, that? What's that mean? There are seven fundamental facial expressions. Did you know that? You can get a lot of this off the FBI's website, but there are seven fundamental facial expressions. And they use these uh, basic expressions to study people, tell whether they're lying, tell what, how they're feeling. You know, a lot of people who are, uh, uh, I guess, interview suspects, these kinds of things really, really come in handy for that kind of thing. But out of all seven, let me give you the list real quick. Uh, where did it go here? Anger, fear, disgust, happiness, sadness, surprise, and contempt. Out of all seven, do you know which one is the hardest to hide? Happiness. Happiness is the hardest fundamental facial expression to hide. Scientists, and I've got I to bring this up here because I think I need glasses, and I, I did a nine font here. Why would I do that? Scientists have found that if you want to lift your mood, you should force yourself to smile. A 2012 study published in the Journal of Psychological Science trained 169 university students to hold chopsticks in their mouths in order to force particular facial expressions, one neutral, one standard smile, and then a genuine smile. Now, I'm not exactly sure how you would use chopsticks to force the smile, but that's what they did. Uh, a neutral, standard smile, and a genuine smile. Once the participants learned the correct expressions, they were given stressful multitasking activities. These are big words for a homeschool guy here. The researchers found that the subjects 
with both the genuine smile and the standard smiles had lower heart rates while performing the tasks that those with the neutral expression could, uh, indicating that the people who were smiling when performing the stressful activities were able to perform them better and less stressed while they're performing it. That was, that was a lot of words, but you know what that's saying? Science proves smiling is important. According to psychological, oh, I didn't say that right, Psychology Today, a similar study that asked participants to either force a smile or force a frown while judging particular images, and I guess they would just, what do you think about this image? What do you think about this image? I guess it was one of those kind of things. So you got some people forcing a smile, some people forcing a frown, and they were asked to, to give what they thought about the image that they were shown. This particular test found that people had a more positive reaction to the images when they were smiling. What's more is that the positive benefits of these forced smiles lasted for four minutes. Now you're probably sitting out there thinking, Brent, you're trying to use Bible to say that we need to smile? I mean, come on. Well, bear with me for just a little bit longer here and I'll do the best that I can. Take your Bibles, go to 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 5 through 9. 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through 9. Now, as you read through this passage, we're going to go kind of quick through this because we don't have a whole lot of time. But verse 5, what he's saying there in this particular verse is that we have salvation in Jesus Christ. In verse 6, he says that we're still rejoicing despite the hardships that we're facing on a regular basis. In verse 7, he talks about uh, how gold, just as gold is, is melted and put in fire to pull out its impurities, the same thing can happen with our faith. As, as we go through difficulties, our faith is actually made more pure or strengthened. And then we get to verse 8. He says, Whom having not seen, ye love. And he's talking about Jesus Christ. He's talking about Jesus Christ. We've not yet seen Jesus Christ, but we love Him. We love Him. In whom, though now ye see him not, yet believing, ye, and I'm reading from the old King James, beg your pardon, ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. Ye rejoice with a joy that is unspeakable. What is a joy that is unspeakable? You ever been so happy that you just couldn't express your happiness in words? Maybe you expressed it with a smile, you know? You see where I'm going? I think this is biblical here, okay? A joy that is unspeakable is a joy that is seen in a person's attitude and demeanor and probably a smile. Brethren, one of the best things that we can do to help pull ourselves up out of sadness and unhappiness is force a smile. Force a smile. In Luke chapter 19, verses 1 through 10, we don't have time to read that whole story, but this is the story of Zacchaeus. I think most of us are pretty familiar with the story of Zacchaeus. Short in stature, climbed the sycamore tree. He went and climbed it because he couldn't see over the people because Jesus was coming and he really wanted to see Jesus. And as Jesus comes along and he looks up in the tree there and he tells Zacchaeus to come down for I'm going to your house today. I almost want to sing the song. And it tells us that he joyfully, Zacchaeus joyfully, came down. He was excited to be with Jesus. Now what about you? Are you excited to be with Jesus? Are you excited to be working for the Lord? Are you excited to, to head towards heaven to one day, as Peter wrote, we haven't seen him yet, but we know we're going to. Are you excited about that? Because you should be. In Acts chapter 8, verses 35 and following, you have Philip 
who encounters the Ethiopian eunuch. Okay, story we all know. Goes up in the chariot, helps him understand more accurately what he's reading from, from the book of Isaiah. And he preaches to him Jesus, the Bible tells us. And then as they're going along, the Ethiopian eunuch says, hey, here's water. What, what's keeping me from getting baptized? And then Philip asked, if you believe, you can. He said, I believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And they, they got out of the chariot. They both went down in, into the water. He was baptized. Uh, the, the Holy Spirit whisked away Philip. And I've always imagined, is that like a Scotty beam me up kind of thing? Or did he just disappear? We, we don't know. But Philip was whisked away. And there is the Ethiopian eunuch alone. He has just had his sins washed away. His soul is saved. And what does the scripture tell us that he did? He went on his way rejoicing. Brethren, we've been saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. Are you happy about that? How dare we as Christians walk around with a sour look on our face amongst the worldly people when we ought to be showing them Jesus through us. And sometimes we can do it just as simply with a smile. Make up your mind. Work on your words. Brethren, we need to fix our faces. We need to put a smile on because we of all people have been blessed. And lastly this morning, I want you to alter your actions. Change the way that you do things. Change the things that you do in order to live a life that is acceptable to God. In order to change how we feel, sometimes we have to change what we do. Some people might say that's backwards, Brent. You should change how you feel before you change what you do. But I'm saying change what you do and it'll help you change how you feel. There are three things real quickly that you can do. Okay, You can, number one, think less of yourself and think more of others. That's a biblical concept. Love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus gets to the end of the story of the Good Samaritan and he asked, which one of these was his neighbor? And the lawyer said, well, it was the one that showed mercy. And you know what Jesus said? Go and do the same thing. Show mercy on other people. Think less of yourself and think more of other people. The second thing you can do is give more of yourself than less of yourself. Paul says in Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but it is Christ that lives in me. In Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, we're to present our bodies as a living sacrifice. We're supposed to wholly give our lives to the Lord and live in that fashion. Give more of yourself rather than less of yourself. And lastly this morning, put God's plan above your plan. That's the kind of action that you ought to be altering in your life. Is put God's plan above your plan. Do what God wants you to do rather than what you want to do. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 33. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness will be added unto you. That, that, that's, what, that's what God wants for us. He wants us to have the blessings. He wants us to have the great life. He wants us to have the abundant life. But brethren, sometimes we have to, to make some changes in order to feel differently. And that's the encouragement that I want to give you this, this morning. I want to leave you again with the words from, from Psalm 126 that tells us the Lord has done great things for us. The Lord has done great things for me. We are glad. Are you glad this morning because of what the Lord has done for you? I hope that you are. I hope that you are. If you're not a child of God this morning, there's something that you can do this morning that can make you the happiest person in all the world. And that is you can give your life to the Lord.
You can confess that Christ is Lord. You can be baptized and those sins can be washed away and you can live a faithful life in service to Him. Maybe you're here this morning and you already are a faithful child of God, but maybe somewhere along the way you've made some mistakes. Maybe mistakes, when I say mistakes, I mean sin. Maybe you have sin in your life. And maybe it's a sin that is of a public nature and you want the brethren here at Hoover to know that you have repented, that you want to make a change, that you want to move forward and you want to be that faithful child of God that you know that God would have you to be. If we can help you in any way, won't you please come forward right now while we stand and sing.